Welcome everyone to What the Force and welcome to Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim where we talk about the Mandalorian cinematic universe and primarily <laughs> the Mandalorian from a mythic fairy tale deep dive perspective. And what I mean by that is that we use Joseph Campbell, Jungian psychology and symbolism and archetypes and other mythic concepts to help dissect this very, very interesting show. And joining me to talk about season three, episode two, The Minds of Mandalore, is my good friend and yours, Alex Kane. Thanks for having me back. You're always welcome. The door is always open for you, Alex. You know that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just as a reminder, please like and subscribe on it. Your app of choice, wherever you happen to find the show, you can also support the show by joining us on Patreon. Uh, it really helps run the show as well as we have merch. Links are in the liner notes uh, that also helps support the show. So awesome. <laughs> Let's dig into The Minds of Mandalore. This was written, of course, by Jon Favreau and directed by Rachel Morrison. Wow. Welcome, Rachel, to the Mandalorian and Star Wars universe. Yes. She's so impressive. I loved every moment of this episode. <laughs> Same. Yeah, yeah. Every time we sort of get a new voice in Star Wars, kind of like when, uh, you know, Rick or Bryce or... Uh, Steph Green and Book of mm. Boba, you know, somebody sort of fresh and unexpected comes in and just does something really memorable. And uh, that was definitely the case here. New new top three episode for me, I would say. She's most well known as the cinematographer for Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she sort of is known as a cinematographer sort of historically. And mm -hmm. um, so she's an old friend of Rick Famuyiwa, who has directed, you know, lots of our favorite episodes, probably most famously The Believer with uh, Bill Burr. Um, so we can assume he maybe recruited her or said, yeah, hey, yeah, probably, probably been asking her for a while. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I, one would imagine, and she's been busy with lots of stuff, but, uh, she shot his movie dope way back in the day. Um, cute sort of indie coming of age teen comedy. Um, mm -hmm. so that had, um, Shamik Moore, who's like the voice of Miles Morales in Spider-Verse, um, was the star of that. And then it had Tony Revolori of recent Willow fame was like his buddy in that movie. Uh, Dope is a lot of fun. Um, like the reviews didn't really necessarily shower with praise when it came out, but mm -hmm. I, I watched it, you know, five, seven years ago and, and loved it. Um, you know, gorgeously shot. <laughs> Hence yeah. the, uh, so, so she got gigs doing like, uh, 24 episodes of the MTV reality series, the Hills. Uh, she was DP on a lady Gaga made for TV film. She worked on Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. And, and then her big break was a movie called Fruitville station, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a tragic, true life drama starring Michael B. Jordan. And that was directed by Ryan Coogler, who then uh, of course hired her to, to do, do Black, Black Panther. Panther. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's got a very from Disney to Star Wars pipeline kind of history, but she's also comes from that sort of uh, hip 
indie film yeah. world, uh, which is cool. Yeah. And it gives kind of like a just a refreshing energy to this episode. It almost feels like. Yeah. I really loved her work in this. And um, there was a lot of close ups of people's faces, which... <laughs> It's really nice. I mean, I I know that's really hard with a puppet and uh, a guy in a suit and a mask. But, you know, there was lots of moments uh, that were really, really good with Bo and like how she looked. And we were with her in those moments. And this is what is described as the feeling camera. You uh, experience the emotions of the character on screen. And, you know, I... I have to I have to admit a little bit. I wanted to go back and really clearly document when Bo takes off her helmet and when she doesn't, but she really takes mm-hmm. it off to have emotional moments. So, um that was quite significant and I look forward to rewatching it again to like yeah. really think about those things. But unfortunately, we're recording the same day it came out and I didn't get a chance to do a third rewatch. Yeah. So these are these are the constraints of podcasters. Uh, before we dig into the episode, there is a few things I did want to kind of lay the groundwork for because they're really important aspects to understanding this episode. I think when you watch it, you just sort of get it, right? You get that something important is happening and there there's a significance and a weight to what's happening. And to me, that is the mythical symbolic language that is literally being threaded through the whole thing. How did it work for you, Alex? I mean, uh, to me, it felt like it tied a lot of things together that have been threaded through the show since, you know, a lot of the way I watch Star Wars now is framed through talking about season one with you back in 2019. Oh, really? (laughs) You know, we sort of like sunk our teeth in Amanda season one pretty hard. And so um, it was impossible not to see those connections kind of, you know, being mm-hmm. sewn back in. And um, yeah, it just felt like, oh, it's all really starting to come together now in a way that, you know, maybe season two was busy doing all these different things and laying the groundwork for spinoffs and stuff. And so, you know, now this feels like, oh, the Mandalorian, like we're really gearing up for for big things settled and it feels like we're starting from a place but let's not deny that din has reverted on his journey he is such a dumbass like (laughs) like i love him but wow is he dumb what i had in my notes too is like (laughs) This is the most sort of character development we've ever gotten for Bo specifically, I would say. And so, yes, you you get that kind of uh, churning thing going on with those two where, you know, I I don't know, like, yeah, some kind something gets flipped. And then uh, also like great Grogu stuff in this episode, probably of necessity, probably, but like uh... the puppet. I think it's important to point out that Grogu is further along on his like sort of life archetypes than Din currently yeah. is representing. Yeah, yeah. He's got like two really big Grogu moments in here. It's sort of like a parent child kind of look at things and all kinds of fun stuff happens. But who's the parent and who's the child in this? Who... <laughs> no, seriously, I'm asking in you. In this episode, yeah. that's really Interesting. I mean, in this episode, I was thinking of it in terms of like Bo acting like the parent, but yeah, you almost are you implying that you're not implying Grogu's the parent, right? Like, no, but he's further along on his journey. He's certainly not, he's not in need of assistance, not regressing like Mando appears to be. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I haven't really pinned down exactly where Grogu is. He certainly doesn't seem to need Mando, but he wants him, which is different, right? Sure. But Mando, Din Djarin is totally in his maiden phase of the journey. And we talked about this last episode. Uh, The life archetypes come down to six main archetypes, maiden hero, queen, king, crone mage and you basically follow them throughout your life uh maiden being childlike or teenage like hero you're out on your adventure you have gotten past the need for parental monitoring or the need for parents to approve of you queen you've taken on a need to become and nurture a family king you're leading something bigger than your family right like a kingdom crone is you have died and you have to deal with the fact that you have died spiritually and that typically aligns to like middle-aged people and then mage you're now powerful a great example of a recent mage that we've seen in recent media was in andor when uh marva inspired everybody <laughs> she was a oh, the hologram. And then she kind of became larger than life and she became inspirational to those around her right and din has actually reverted from being kind of a hero almost a queen in previous episodes because of his connection to grogu to being very childlike he has become dependent on his parental figure in the armorer for his guidance on the directions on which he should go um and and worse than that in this episode he's a full-on damsel which is the passive aspect of the maiden yeah he's he's sort of uh tied to the train tracks in this episode or whatever like (laughs) several times Yeah. And is hesitant to do things, is relying on other people to walk his journey for him, and also is doing what Mother Dearest tells him to do. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And we get some parents talk in this episode, which we can get into later, but... We get some talk about like, oh, my parents, which is interesting. He wants to be good for mother. That's like a big sign that you're stuck in your maiden phase. And it's not even like you're on your own journey in your maiden phase. You are a damsel. You are stuck in this idea. Like think uh, Rapunzel from Tangled right? Mother knows best, child. Can't you imagine the armor almost saying that to him? Sure. Yeah, he's yeah, he's like in that that phase of wanting to to impress the parents and be the golden child. Yeah. And and Bo is the rebellious tomboy teenager who has no interest whatsoever in what her parents, you know, hypothetically would think, or so she, you know, claims. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I actually have a different theory on where Bo is at, but Okay. It's it's good. Uh, Joseph Campbell actually talks about this from a psychoanalytical psycho, psycho perspective. So what the archetypes represent at this stage for Din, being a maiden, is an impotence to put forward or to put off the infantile ego with its sphere of emotional relationships and ideals. One is bound by the walls of childhood. The father and the mother stand as threshold guardians. Uh, you You become fearful of punishment and fail to make passage through the doors and come to the birth in the world without. So the 
world without is always the unknown. It's the underworld, right? He's doing what he's not doing what his soul is telling him to do his joy. He's doing what his parental figure is telling him to do. And you really have to deny and like get around those threshold guardians. You have to go and go on your own journey. Why is he always getting stuck? Why does the sword not work for him? Why are these things happening to him? Because he's walking somebody else's path. Yeah. Like not trusting sort of like the inner voice, right? Like yeah. the, George Lucas is like the romantic guy of all romantics. And so like when Kylo Ren is out on the bridge with his dad and the force awakens, like, you know, the right thing to do would be to like, listen to your heart or whatever. But instead it's like, well, what, what Snoke need me to do here? You know? Yeah. And so it's really a dangerous moment when you're listening to external voices all the time, instead of saying like, you know, what is, <laughs> what does this make me feel? What do I actually want to do in my heart or whatever? So this is important because I hope the din and we're not, we're not done this journey, obviously. Right. It stops kind of halfway through. Um, I think this is really important for Din to realize maybe some of the aspects of what he's doing, but he's he's full on a damsel in this episode. You can see it. It's literally there in all of the what happened symbolism. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not only is he kind of like he's like rendered useless at one point and then at another point he's um like the world just sort of falls away beneath him and he's yeah, sort like of powerless to like, do anything. Is he actually doing anything in this episode? That's yeah, a question for you to keep in mind. As very interesting. Okay, so so this is obviously a quest for rebirth, but who's the rebirth for? I mean, hopefully oh, did in the end. Yeah. This is, this is a quest for Bo. Yeah, yeah. Like out of she's sort of dragged out into the <laughs> Yeah. into adventure she, which in last episode she had no last episode didn't like hey come with me on this adventure she's like nah that's a denial of the call right yeah and she's the one who answers the supernatural herald being grogu she's the one who goes in and defeats the monsters she's the one that goes and dives to the depths to be reborn there's also some really interesting heroine's journey things happening if you kind of play them kind of off sync of each other in that Bo is currently suffering from the false boon of success. She did everything she th was supposed to do to lead the Mandalorians and they ran off on her. <laughs> And she's like left with nothing but dust. She played the world. She played by the man's world, the man's rules and left with nothing. Yeah. She's got like a, a castle and it's a pretty castle, but it's, it's empty and she's got no, no purpose until mm -hmm. she hears, oh, the, you know, pretty Pedro Pascal is in trouble, you know? <laughs> She doesn't know what he looks like. Oh, yeah. True, true, true. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, there's some other really interesting mythical things happening, but I'm going to save them for when we get into the episode. I also find it interesting. This episode actually came out in uh, at the same time as the Jewish holiday uh, and sort of celebration of Purim, which uh, is has has some you know associations with saving the jewish people from uh, annihilation so there's like kind of a parallel there to the to the mandalorians um and there's a big theme of protection from harm from others in this episode and also purim has some kind of common threads uh where 
there's a tradition of kids dressing up because of the masquerading that happened during Purim to protect the people. And so there's a there's a tie to the fact that like <laughs> Din continues to want to be in the mask, right? He is still masquerading as a Mandalorian. Not that he isn't one, but that he truly has he doesn't see himself truly as one without the mask, if that makes yeah. sense. He's sort of taking like what Campbell would talk about as like rituals. He's taking them very literally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At, like like the armor would expect her tribe to do and 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 Bo respects them in kind of more of a you know probably the way somebody like John Favreau or anyone with like any kind of religious life whatsoever you know tends to think of their religion in like the sort of 21st century where you know it's not like the only thing they have going on you know like (laughs) like Mando and Grogu with like the Mandalorians and the Jedi and all that like is a pretty big deal but like to to a sort of healthy, uh, well-rounded person, they've they've got religion and they've got other things going on too. So, um, it's interesting. Transubstantiation is like the typical thing that happens in you know Catholicism when uh, you know the body and blood of Christ becomes the bo- the wine and the bread becomes the body and blood of Christ, right? So they um, is is that literally happening, or is it on on a figurative level, or is it both? You know, there is mm. there is a lot of that from a faith perspective that's going on with Din, right? He uh, there's some really interesting moments in this episode. I don't know, there's there's a lot going on. It's it really makes me happy. Um, it's really rich, and uh, I have joined the ship of. Uh, Bo Din or Dinbo. I I kind of have gotten aboard with uh, Dinbo because it sounds like himbo, and that's our boy. <laughs> and I I love it so much. And there's a lot of mythical stuff happening to kind of say interesting. They could go this way. Certainly, the door is open. Um, and yeah, John Favreau has written romantic stuff before, so come through for me, John. Come through for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very like Raylo thing that happens in this episode <laughs> with uh, her using his sword is a very Last Jedi moment, and then mm. you know just the idea that like they're kind of the only two people in the galaxy who sort of um, at least in the universe of this show where a lot of the other Mandos are kind of um, you know not like front and center. You know they they get each other in a way that you know grief Karga does not understand the the Mandalorian experience or the, you know, Peli Mato or whoever, you know. And she cares enough about him to go to a cursed planet or a yeah, toxic like, planet. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe Christmas isn't her favorite holiday, but she gets that Christmas is meaningful to yeah. her sort of quote unquote family member, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I happen to love Christmas, but <clears throat> it's that kind of thing where she respects him even if she sort of feels a little differently about the rituals yeah and it kind of goes down to the difference between the two of them in this episode is you know din kind of has wholly existed on this like quote-unquote spiritual level right and Mm -hmm. Bo has existed on this very rational level din is reminded that he is actually flesh and blood in this episode in a very literal way Mm. and 
Bo has been reminded of the importance of the rituals. That's really interesting you say that. A lot of my notes are about, so if you have this one person who's sort of like balanced and healthy and Bo, even though she's kind of like static and needs that call to adventure. And then if Mando Mm -hmm. is kind of overly spiritual and forgetting about what's in front of him, you also have this creature that we'll get to, which is like the other extreme of like pure material life, um, which is like the most Star Wars thing I've ever seen. And I just loved it so much. It's like so Star Wars. It's even super mythical. I can't wait to talk it's about so it. Great. It's so great. It's so good. Okay. So let's get into the episode. And actually, we have to start with the previously on parts unfortunately because it's important to reminder but but we get yeah. the solid reminder of the armor talking about when the mythosaur rises so will the mandalorian people we can't like go further than that just to say because now this is like a real thing that people might actually believe in or at least mm-hmm. the armor may right right And then we also get the flashback to Bo-Katan's denial of the call, which was really, really important as a setup for the episode. But we actually start with Pelimoto. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you get this sort of, uh, what, speeder race event on Mo- in Mos Eisley, which is like a very, I don't know, George it's, Lucas kind of it's thing. It's Bunta Eve. This is the event that Anakin took place in. Oh, is it Bunta? Okay. It's yeah. Bunta Eve. It's, it's like all the like bougie, uh, like rich, like Rodians and their fancy outfits come out and they've got fireworks and fancy yeah. cars. But um, do you do you know what Boonta Eve is about? I oh, I Wikipedia it. <laughs> all, all I know is like the pod racing stuff. So I guess I don't no, know like the cultural significance. It's it's in celebration of the hut. I'm oh. gonna, I, who ascended to godhood. So not Jabba. Not Jabba. Or Jabba. But okay, a cool. hut. Nice. I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Okay. So she's basically running a scam, right? And Oh, yeah. And okay. <laughs> Pelimodo is like our George Lucas insert into Star Wars. A mechanic has his hair like it talks the truth and quite literally will always tell din what he needs not necessarily what he wants so how can we meta interpret the selling the speeder back to the same person well (laughs) we're gonna get fresh coat of paint on the same lessons and values as star wars and get it back to us yeah it's kind of like george selling like his you know his empire to disney and then but he maintains like an office at skywalker ranch and like he he goes to the sets and hangs out with dave and and john like uh it's, it's kind of that thing and yeah like you said just the adoration for grogu and the um yeah, the, the the sort of grease monkey, you know, hot rodder uh, yeah. aspect is so fun. And the pit droids, the pit droids that, feel very old, George. Like, it, you know, a, a conspiracy theory about Pelimoto that she's George Lucas's insert, or at least homage to George Lucas, right? Um, 
But we get this like really great scene where she's scamming other people, but she never scams Din, right? Even though even though she does sell him a terrible droid, she offers to tune up his engine for free and, you know, basically cut him a deal to like make sure the droid can be brought. Okay, what is important about this droid? Din says what he needs. He needs a droid that can do spelunking. Okay. <laughs> All right, Splunking. Uh, You mean cave climbing? Like basically you're going into a cave and you're going deep, deep, deep into a catabasis. And he specifically says, I need a droid to explore ahead of me. From a hero's journey perspective, that's not great, right? That means somebody else is walking your journey for you. He's afraid of the danger. He's afraid. He's a damsel. He's he's a child. (laughs) good stuff isn't that great um yeah (laughs) i I just i'm trying to think of like what luke skywalker uh if he had that moment but he just says like i'm not afraid and yoda says you will be you will be Uh, yeah um so pelly's like okay why don't you take this r5 unit he'll do what you need him to do bare minimum but he's not gonna walk your journey for him he literally cannot like so Pelly gives him what he needs not necessarily what he wants she's like the best like mentor like it yeah she's great i love her so much there's this weird sort of like meta implication with this droid which she says something like when he re- he got back from serving the rebellion yeah. and we, we we know that this is like literally the droid that like was purchased by Luke Skywalker's family and then, and then like blew exploded. its motivator. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so it makes me wonder like are there all these like rumors that oh that's like a droid that was owned by Luke Skywalker and like <laughs> he sort of steals R2D2's valor because I would like love that. Um <laughs> anyway, um yeah, there's all this weird like implication with that. But that's not the droid. He didn't he didn't actually need IG, but he was afraid. He's afraid to go into the dark. Yeah. He's afraid to transform. He's afraid to do what he actually needs to do because he's a damsel. He's a maiden. He's actually afraid to go against the armorer. He's afraid to admit what he actually wants, which is interpersonal connection. Yeah. IG's the one who did all the like protecting and sacrificing really in the the season one finale and he's sort of like trying to resurrect him again so he can just continue to be his yeah you his you proxy. sacrifice and you you nurture baby for me yeah oh my god it's so good um but okay so he's like fine i'll take the he he agrees like relatively quickly for a guy who really hates droids <laughs> yeah He's like, whatever, it beats like risking anything myself. So yeah, exactly. Like literally just rolling over and letting it happen. Um, And they head to Mandalore and he shows Grogu the different planets. And it's literally like, and this one I was born on. Oh, yeah. Bo-Katan is right there. See, she's right there. And that's Mandalore. <laughs> it's like sort of uh, laying the groundwork for for Grogu's competence to be able to, to rescue him later. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it sort of seems like exposition. But and there's like also this like Mando cultural thing where he's like, um, you know, oh, a Mandalorian has to be good with maps, you know, got to be able, which is funny because Pelly jokingly kind of jabs him and calls him grandpa early in the episode. Yeah, because and he's then asking the, for old old technology. yeah and then yeah. with the maps i was like that's kind of a grandpa trait 
there too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So funny. He's from Concordia, which uh, of course showed up in the Clone Wars or when Rebels with the protectors of uh, Concord Dawn. Uh, Concordia is, of course, you know, a moon of Mandalore. And um, this makes me like go a little, I was a little confused. I actually thought he wasn't actually like Mandalorian. It, like, yeah, it's you know? it's weird how like the foundling stuff was sort of like new information when the show started, I believe. And so I think he's he's talking about after his parents were killed and he was like adopted by the Mandalorians, possibly. But yeah, it's a little it's a little vague. A little vague. I. I mean, I think they're personally going to give him a hidden prince backstory. Oh, that would be cool. Like maybe like he was one kind of Mandalorian and then the children of the watch took him after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like got... a what, Anastasia type thing or something. Uh, I mean, I don't, know. I don't know that story. They're giving me the vibes of he's got hidden hidden royalty i like this hidden, i haven't heard this theory hidden, before hidden, well, no, like this it. is brand new as of this episode so hell yeah, yeah i like it why make him why point out that he is not just a foundling of the clone wars if not to actually make him hidden hidden royalty yeah well i like even in my notes for this this specific episode i i talked about the the creature that we'll get to being sort of a a phantom of the clone wars so and he has that fear of machines that's so who din is that so yeah yeah the, all the all the signs are kind of like all that stuff is continuing to be very very relevant yeah even till now i mean why do you go to the dark but to deal with all your shadows right we dealt with a yeah. lot of shadows with ig and i think that's he felt a lot of comfort with that so he wanted his protector droid to come with him the one that was like on his side and that he had already sort of come to terms with but that's like a cheaty way like you can't do that you gotta you gotta deal <laughs> with your with your stuff unfortunately he's like a like a baby damsel right now so <laughs> yeah it's, it's really really cute but he's john so- connor and he wants his arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator to protect him. Yeah. It all goes back to Terminator, apparently, we've decided. <laughs> and so they enter into the clouds of the planet. And of course, this is like a massive sign that they're going through a threshold. Um, it's completely different from the outside to the inside. They go in, there's like storms, and then suddenly it looks really nice on Mandalore. I mean, it's destroyed, but it looks fine. To me, it looks like if Exegol had the sun shining, <laughs> like, mm. you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of half you, Exegol, half Octo. How do you know that you've entered into the unknown or the world without, as Joseph Campbell said from the quote that I said earlier? Oh, well, we can't communicate with the rest of the galaxy right now. There's communication yeah. problems. <laughs> we've lost all communications. Um, yeah. Also... It's funny in Bo's castle, it was sort of like raining. Uh, and then we get to this planet and it we hear like thunder in the distance mm-hmm. or something. Storm's mm-hmm. coming. They uh, land, they release the droid. Grogu's super worried about R4, which made my heart melt because I love it when people experience empathy for droids. It's it's a great thing about Star Wars. Um, and this is like really important because like you're really not supposed to let other people walk your journey for you, right? This is kind of what I think Peli was trying to show Din. Um, 
or at least what the writers are telling us, because he quickly gets into trouble, R5, and Din has to go after him. And so there's yeah. this huge like, okay, lock yourself in your pad, in your pod, Grogu. I'm going to go and seal my helmet and go and check and then figure out if it's actually toxic here. Grogu's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes and he fights the the monsters and he, it's really interesting because these are like, these are like, you know, threshold guardians, right? Like as soon as he enters the cave, they're there to fight him and say, no, you can't go any further, right? They're like trolls or yeah. with green yeah, eyes. Like They got those like four green eyes, I think, and tusks. Yeah. And the look of the cave from the inside is also green. Why? 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 Green is significant. It's growth. It's Grogu, mm. right? It represents his joy, right? It Your joy is the thing that guides you through your journey mm-hmm. when you're when you don't know where to go and he's like ah green because <laughs> he's yeah. running away from his instincts which is to nurture and to love and this is why he continuously becomes a damsel in this episode and the sword still fights him interesting the sword <laughs> the sword fights oh that yeah yeah the yeah. dark saber yeah, the yeah, dark saber call. fights him whenever he tries to use it yeah you, you brought up the color green and i was like oh we were talking about arthurian stuff last time and i was like oh the green knight one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. i was like what does green say in that movie and it's like we could just go all night talking about that probably but yeah it's like it's that sort of double-edged color of like it represents like all these good things and you know and then it, it also, also kind of has represents the inevitability of nature right death and yeah. life are interconnected and yeah. you can't you can't stop those things interesting yeah it's sort of like yeah greed but like yeah the ultimate you know nature will always be the kind of the victor or whatever when you fight against nature or whatever so i guess well, that's what those trolls you, the green eyes are you can't stop death right you can't yeah. stay green forever yeah this episode does go there for sure <laughs> yes it's all connected this is a really great episode like we could talk about this episode for hours and hours <laughs> Um, uh, they test, you know, they they test the air. It's okay for both of them, so that's great. And Mandor is like, Mandor is like, Bo-Katan was right. Mandalore isn't cursed. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I just feel like patting him on the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. What what is it? Pure of heart, dumb of ass, or whatever. Um, yeah. It's like he gets like the. The, the not cursed and the not magical are two separate things, which is kind of fun that, you know, Bo has not really made up her mind about. And he's sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's sort of like the the mine is cursed and the waters are magic. And, uh, and like, we sort of <laughs> unpack what that all means by the end of this. Yeah. And he gets Grogu, which is his instinct to do. He doesn't want to leave his his son behind. But it's also important because Grogu represents his joy, his guiding light in the darkness, and they literally enter into this cavern, which anytime that you're kind of going into an underworld journey or into the earth, it is a representation of being in the earth. The earth being like Gaia means that you're going inside of her. You're going back into the womb. And when they enter, they kind of see the civic center underneath and it looks like bones of the city, sort of like, or sort of like what you see when you see like, um, 
destroyed buildings in like post-apocalyptic movies. Yeah. And they go down to the mine. So they go down this big hole and they kind of like go down. Uh, he uses his jetpack, And of course, Grogu just has his little floating pod. Um, <laughs> and they're in the darkness. And another sign that you're in your damsel stage, right? Your, your archetype, you're stuck in this passive maiden phase is that you are constantly being hunted by a predator. And we see uh, sort of this like, thing that is like stalking them and Grogu notices it but Din has like literally no idea that he is being hunted interesting yeah I didn't uh I didn't pick up on that Grogu being more aware of it that's awesome it totally makes sense and then we run into this like spider-like droid that uh captures din very easily there's this one line where din says oh all these waters must flow to the living water so it's sort of like the idea like they all flow down and if we just kind of follow the water we will get there which is like maybe the first instinctual thing he sort of says this episode Mm -hmm. every other episode is kind of every other light is sort of driven by fear to this point yeah it's it's kind of like the image of the river sticks from like season one's finale again yeah uh except like he's he's almost sort of uh you know he doesn't have ig11 like doing that for him i guess he's he's sort of He's sort of venturing out a little bit. Um, so I not, love, maybe, I love maybe that this, not metaphorically. Uh, this droid has like spider parts. It kind of looks like a spider because it's like, oh, you're trapped, Din. That's the big symbol. You're yeah. trapped. You're you're not progressing forward the way that you need to be progressing forward. And then it like gets out of its like spider mech, and it's this yeah. like fleshy but also mechanical monstrosity. It sort of reminded me of Maul in the under in the under world of the garbage planet from the clone wars with his spider yeah. legs yeah yeah sort of like a mix of that and like general grievous yeah there's like, a lot of general grievous like, which is like kind of like the tie to the clone wars concept for din yeah fear of the droids sort of both those characters taken to like the furthest extreme and yeah, it's sort of like one fleshy eye <laughs> in a skull, like like oh, basically you, just the eye. You pointed out the eye. So what it's is just, it also mythically? He's a cyclops. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which shows multiple things, but specifically this ties to Odysseus and Polyphemus, where yeah. um, Polyphemus uh, was the very famous Cyclops that captured Odysseus and his crew on the way back from the Trojan War. And he trapped them in his cave with his sheep and every <laughs> night would eat two of the crew. <laughs> There's this like consumption idea, right? And yeah. this this Cyclops is not only a Cyclops, but also a shapeshifter, which I'm super excited to talk about later because we see kind of yeah. the, the aspects of it. But he gets him and he plugs him into kind of this like contraption and he starts to siphon blood out of him yeah vampirism basically yeah yeah and so he is a shapeshifter because shapeshifters um are often vampires they're werewolves or witches you know and they recommend they sort of represent this idea that uh our hero needs a catalyst for action and that 
um, change is possible, right? Mm. Change is possible. You can transform yourself. And so he is a shadow of the transformation. What I want to tie to the Odysseus and Polyphemus stuff is actually for when Bo comes in, because he represents something for Bo that is different than what he represents for Din, which is that Din, he is his captor <laughs> because he is a damsel. <laughs> and for Bo, it's something different. Interesting. Odysseus's wife was like, captive right or, or did she test him with the arrow thing like the she didn't recognize him right is she, that what it was she didn't recognize him when he came home because she had all these suitors there yeah right right okay yeah interesting got me so, thinking about the odyssey so <laughs> of course of course uh and it, it's also just to remind us we don't know what we we think we know what our journey is and we don't we don't know what's supposed to happen next <laughs> sure yeah right psychologically uh grogu is like trying to protect him and fails and so he's like go get bo katan okay so this has effectively become a lost husband story yeah because some stuff happened so let's talk about lost husbands real quick. Lost husbands <laughs> represent psychologically the uh, desire to seek the wounded masculine in ourselves and heal it. Um, the fact that literally Din Djarin is stuck in the underworld and he offered a proposal. Remember when I pointed that out last time? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Last time he was like, hey, Bo, join me. And she's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'll sit here. Oh, well, the key to this is that some sort of taboo was broken. There was an offer. There was um, a rule set. Right. And she mm -hmm. said no to him, which is fine. But it also means that he was actually very important to her. My favorite yeah. lost husband story is Psyche and Eros, um, which is, of course, the story of love and the soul and how his chosen wife ended up um, sort of piercing him with uh, or burning him with fire. And so she had to go and, you know, eventually go to the underworld and atone and do a whole bunch of tasks and trials to get him back and to kind of atone to her, uh, to his mother, which is, of course, Aphrodite. Um, there's tons of lost husband stories in folklore and in fairy tale and, of course, myth. It, this is also Din needing to be rescued by the feminine. Mm -hmm. because the dark feminine has him right now, right? So <laughs> he needs he needs a different set of sort of feminine archetypes in his psyche to help him. And Bo could easily be that um, as well. I love how to like the, the sort of Star Wars fan culture aspect of this is that, you know, uh, episode nine happened and then all these sort of Star Wars fans who do fanfic or art or whatever were all immediately like, well, you know, Ben's just lost somewhere and Ray has to go find him. And then like Willow, that's like literally kind of what they set up. It's like yeah. the plot for like Willow season two and three, it seems. Uh, and then and now we get this. So it's just there, kind of there funny was lost how... husband stuff like throughout, which is great in Willow. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, Return of the Jedi even, <laughs> like you know, it's yeah. all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah um, she goes. She goes to the underworld to go and save her husbands, Leia and Han. Right? Yeah, Leia, Leia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it. and 
it's a it's a metaphor for needing to redeem these aspects or or heal these aspects within ourselves, right? Um, mm-hmm. Bo's been trying to do things this very like hyper masculine way her whole life and there's a lot of conversation when she rescues him and and ongoing about nurturing and about caring and about her childhood it's really interesting yeah when i thought of the whole the minds being like the you know um basically the the journey of the underworld like the ishtar and nana thing or whatever mm-hmm. like rescuing a family member from the underworld i was yeah. like uh you know so i went to inana you know on like wikipedia and it's funny that you know she was sort of the mesopotamian equivalent of venus so it's sort of like you know goddess of love and beauty but also fertility and also Mm -hmm. war so that idea of like the well-rounded you know the healthy individual who is sort of a little bit more complete than the the so-called hero who (laughs) you know is, is trapped in the spider's web so to speak oh yeah yeah, very helpless in this episode, didn't Jajar it is. <laughs> um, and so, you know, our Grogu, our supernatural herald comes to her and she immediately sets off. They leave Din's ship there, which is really interesting. And they take her ship. So now yeah. it's her journey. Interesting. Yeah, because I you've you really noticed that when like Grogu is in the ship and he calls to her and then they move to her ship like your sort of logical brain as you're watching the episode the first time you're kind of thinking like you know i was like oh they're getting in her ship weird and then <laughs> you say that and it's like oh totally because of yeah the the symbolic reason is is always yeah. the important one in star wars i love that and you know grogu and her journey in and they're careful right um but bo-katan this is this is a cambalinian thing all women are the goddess <laughs> Right. They they might not always look like the goddess and you might not ever actually see all the aspects of them. But the goddess herself just needs to find herself within. If that makes sense. Right. So you think about um, Campbell always talks about the heroine doesn't need to go anywhere to actually unveil the power. The journey, the hero needs to journey and the hero needs to find things. And But the heroine is the goddess who just needs to be revealed. So the journey is always psychological and internalized for women from a Campbellian perspective. Um, so Bo is already a goddess. She has the owl on her mask. She mm. is wisdom. She is rationality, right? Um, and what she needs to find inside of herself is a remembrance of the nurturing that is also part of her, which Din represents in spades. In spades, mm. he does, except he's lost right now, right? He's lost in the yeah. underworld. <laughs> yeah, he's like the dad who's not doing a good job of being a dad right now, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so cool how, like, she's just so cool and graceful in this episode yeah. when she's, like, sort of delving in, like, flying down like Like, you know she's very clint eastwood um like she is the mandalorian as we would you know mm -hmm. point out the title and um also it's funny how the light switch flips from like oh god this asshole again like i'm gonna tell him to get lost and then grogu says he's in trouble and it's like 
boom, she cares, you know, yeah. it's like such a, a change. And so that's that nurturing you're talking about, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Caring about Instinct. others, having compassion for others. Right. That's, that's Star Wars. Uh, and both her and Grogu have this like quick moment where Grogu's like showing her the way in. Right. And she turns on a light at the same time as he does. So they're bringing light to the darkness. Right. They represent mm the the opportunity to illuminate all of these shadows which is really cool strength and numbers and all that right like yeah uh they jump in the hole and i and i'm obsessed with grogu's little flappy ears was he's like going down i don't know it was it was a great the, the puppet has never looked better than in this episode like it's such a good you know grogu performance in all those However, that gets done. I look forward to So It seems like it was a lot of practical puppet in this episode. Yeah. The puppet was amazing in this. It it felt full of soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says, I know you're frightened, but I need you to guide me to him. Oh, hmm. how did this make you feel? What is this? What um, is this for you? I don't know. I, I That line didn't catch me. I guess I was sort of just engrossed in that moment. But I, I mean, you know, we talk about how Grogu is like, he is the past and the future mm -hmm. basically like he uh you know he's sort of the egg that you know he comes from the distant past and he goes to the distant future and um and he is yeah like i don't know healing right he is din's joy right he's the thing that din cares about the most right so he represents something but because Bo cares about what din cares about oh, she okay. needs grogu to guide him guide her to him sure oh, okay right because okay. how do you get through the darkness you seek joy sure yeah and then they turn on their lights <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. It's just entirely my thing, completely. Yeah. The sort of like big macro thing that's happening here, I, I would say, I would venture to guess, it is like the idea that all these Mandalorians are, you know, they would be stronger together, whereas like mm -hmm. this, you know, creature down in the dark, this spider cyclops thing, you know, is sort of a very Sith-like existence where you know, one or two max, you know, <laughs> three's company, right? Like with yeah. the Sith, you know, like uh, I'll tolerate this Kylo Ren guy, but you know, I, I'm, I'm the dark Lord and I'm the only one who matters. You know, that's what the dark side is. So yep. it's kind of like, it's very lonely and isolating and a lot of, a lot of good symbolism that's, here. That's where Din is stuck currently, right? Alone. Yeah. Um, and you know, she tells him stories about Jedi and Mandalorians used to fight together. And so she's like bonding with Grogu. It's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's sort of like, oh, I don't know what that other person told you. But and and then it, she's kind of learning that her and Din are not all that different. Whereas mm -hmm. in earlier episodes, she's like, oh, you're a child of the watch. They're a brainwashed cult and I don't want nothing to do with, you know, these mm -hmm. <laughs> slime balls. And and here it's like, oh, like in our hearts, we believe that's sort of like a, a thing that gets, you know, banded or bandied around in politics or debate class or what have you like that sort of college debate idea of we all essentially want the same things as human beings. So if we can just get to that, you know, that's where the mm -hmm. yeah, change she, and she stuff happens. Kind of talks about how she wishes that Mandalorians could get over that, you know, like what were they even fighting for? They weakened themselves by not being together. Oh, right. That's where I got yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. She says it. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
so we see that, you know, Din has become very weak because of the blood, right, being taken from him. <laughs> and uh, of course, that is he's being weakened because of being trapped within the metal like he literally is. There's a metaphor for you. Um, and this this bug sort of Cyclops shapeshifter, um, they fight. And of course, Bo kicks its ass with ease. <laughs> yeah. She's so good with the, the shield and the sword because defense and attack, a balanced person. So what can yeah. we say Bo is? Bo is truly in her heroine or hero phase, right? She's a hero in the life archetypes phase, right? She is the hero of this particular episode. Yeah. And before, she was kind of a coward, right? She didn't want to go in on the adventure. She was kind of in a negative, passive archetype. And it took Grogu, who, heroic enough, didn't need dad to go and save himself, uh, <laughs> went and uh, went and go and go, went and got her, right? So they're trying to pull Den Din out of this childlike phase, both of them. Mm -hmm. But she was able to fight off this this monster, and you know she kills the one version of him, and then he crawls away in a little bug like <laughs> other creature, yeah. and it kind of goes to the idea like uh, just because you think you've you know cut off the head of one thing doesn't mean it can't go and infect something else right reminded me of the thing it's like the image of the thing where the the head falls off the body and walks away with spider legs and of course dean cundy who shot that movie uh did the last episode <laughs> so oh. there's, there's all this connective tissue between uh Maybe you they're know. talking. <laughs> Love it. They eventually do uh, end up getting rid of the Cyclops eye shapeshifter bug thing, which was good. And uh, they are settled in around a fire and she cooks him pog soup. Yeah. And what's she say? Like, I can't believe you've never had it like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Like every Mandalorian, when you were as small as he was, it Pointing to Grogu has had this. And this reminds me of the, like the bone broth that they had in the first season that Grogu had, right? The idea that there's sure. like a need for nurturing. So she nurtures Din like a mother in this. Mm, interesting. Right? She's caring for him. So I think very much she might even be progressing from hero to even queen, which is all about family and protecting those around you. Um, I'm not 100% sure if she's there yet, but she's progressing. And um, there's kind of like an interesting philosophical conversation that happens where he's like, but without the creed, where are we? What does this even matter without the creed? And I love mm. this little moment where Grogu glares at Bo when he's talking. <laughs> like, my dad's talking. <laughs> He knows what he's, he's talking about. <laughs> he's a smart guy, my dad. Every child thinks like their dad is like the smartest, you know, um, <laughs> everything is gospel. Um, it was a really warm and like nurturing moment, this one, like where they're like just healing up. It's very D&D, &D, like, let's take a long oh, yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah, I put in my notes that this episode is basically like a, a Skyrim dungeon. So yeah, same idea, D&D, &D, just like, <laughs> we got to go underground and like fight some trolls. And <laughs> I love it. This might be my favorite episode. <laughs> um. 
And so Din's like, okay, I got to keep on going. And Bo's like, okay, I'll guide you, you know, because he needs protecting because he's a damsel. Yeah. And they enter into the mines, uh, which kind of looks like the front of Bo's castle, sort of. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, it's interesting that, you know, when we meet Mando, he's like this bounty hunter guy who's all resourceful. And we think like, oh, he could find like anything anywhere on any planet. And uh, she's just like, oh, you're definitely going to need my help. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're looking at it from like that mythological journey point of view where he just he literally it, needs her. Does it make does it make sense without the mythological journey? That's my question, because yeah. I translate yeah. John Favreau, I think, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Well, because to me, I was just like, well, she just wants to hang out with him. But yeah, I think you're right that it's it's also the fact that, yeah, on He's that metaphorical baby. level, he, <laughs> he really does sort of need her right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they end up, you know talking about her childhood that she was a princess right that she knows these things because of being raised here being born here this is hers um you know and then she talks about how her father believe, believed that the rituals were important even if she he didn't necessarily believe the them literally right mm-hmm. and i think that like that gave Din a fair amount of comfort that like her father wanted her to understand the rituals, even if it wasn't quote unquote real for him, that the rituals themselves were important for her family. Yeah. You, yeah. Just, you know, he, he says something like, like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like he didn't get it or whatever. And, or like that the, the it didn't make him proud or something, right? And then she's like, "Oh no, it did." Like, yeah, like to to stress the importance of this stuff like in her do, family. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, my father was a great man. He died def- defending Mandalore, and Din just like turns and like almost robotically says, "This is the way." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, dude, you're in a cult. no i mean like how do you understand that death is part of life right you have we have rituals to help us understand these things and there is a certain amount of horror about living that you know at any point you could die Mm -hmm. and you still have to or people around you could die and you still have to figure out how to live that's really hard and if you have a ritual or a concept or a philosophy or secret stories that help you process all of those complexities of living it it does make you stronger they head down and they find the living waters which looks like a pool and i like that there's like even like a plaque (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was great uh and she starts to read the plaque she's like i want you to have the best experience on our little date to the living waters and so she starts reading the plaque and he's like uh uh, i'm going straight in (laughs) (laughs) he takes off his his weapons but not his armor and he goes in and he starts to walk in and she's like oh okay you're you're doing it i guess and he goes down and i am not surprised he's probably wearing like over 100 pounds of beskar oh so yeah that makes sense I was trying to work out some of the the sort of pseudo physics of this episode in my head. Like, oh, there... so this is literally happened. But... So my dad uh, used to fight in the Society for Creative Anachronism, which means he wore armor and he like would do like reproduction fighting. 
medieval fighting. Nice. Uh, one time he fell, we were at an event that was like outside and he fell into like a creek face down oh, and, couldn't, and couldn't get up and almost drowned. Oh, Jesus. And, and the creek was like a foot deep. Okay. That makes so, a lot more sense. This is real. Legit. Don't fall into water if you're wearing armor. <laughs> But this, from a symbolic perspective, is a death. Oh, sure. <laughs> and yeah. Bo goes in and helps him be reborn as we yeah, see she... the mythosaur, right? So both of them do it. So this is key. She is also reborn. She goes in voluntarily and she does it because she cares about him. So you see the difference mm -hmm. in the archetypes. She is being reborn as somebody who is a queen and he is being reborn um, because she helps him get out of that phase. Mm. Really cool stuff. She's like, I can fix him. Uh, <laughs> I can fix it. Well, my husband is lost in the underworld and yeah. needs to experience a rebirth. That's right. <laughs> and then they see the mythosaur as they go up, right? So the the soul of the mythosaur, the Mandalore sleeps with the mythosaur. And I and I wrote down, uh, life uh finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that she like calls his faith in the myth of like the Mandalorian people like adorable in this sort of condescending way and then but she actually does adore him, I think, on some mm -hmm. level. And then mm -hmm. and then as he slips, we see, oh, like the myth is like literally underneath the know, surface. <laughs> right there. It's right Wait, there. Yeah. Waiting to be reborn. Yeah. Um, which in the first episode I I had mentioned like the mythosaur symbol was like really prominent in the armor's like forge yeah. area. But I thought it was gonna be like some Boba Fett thing, like, oh, they're foreshadowing Boba's gonna be like a big deal. Like, no, it was like the literal mythosaur that we've been building up for three seasons is uh, <laughs> right there. There's a lot of Terminator in this episode. Oh, <laughs> I don't know, the, just with the with the creature and like the crawling and the I don't know the horror yeah. aspect of the eye and stuff. I don't know. There was yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of like the spider tank form uh, was mm -hmm. like a a proto Terminator looking thing. Like we could get into Terminator lore, and yeah, we'll be here all night. But uh, <laughs> I do I do love how much the Terminator is threaded through this show. Um, clearly, it's something that meant a lot to Favreau at some point. And he's using it because we see it all the time with like the dark troopers and the night of a thousand tears and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So I do want to say like that moment when they were kind of camped out, it really does classify as a lap of the goddess moment for Din. He is being healed. He is being protected by the goddess in his life at that moment, which is Bo. Um, and being given sort of wisdom of old that he wasn't aware of. Um mm. Being that it also happened un under the ground, it's also symbolic that they were also um, uh, sharing a meal, i.e. Uh, having a union of sorts, right? <laughs> kind of like Boba and Fennec. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is a mythical marriage of sorts underground. And the fact that she uses his sword, sword being a phallic metaphor, um, this is all in the womb. Uh, there's a lot of sexual symbolism just straight up across this episode. Hmm. Yeah, we see we see Ray use Kylo's red saber in the Last Jedi, yeah. and then of course, in in Rise of Skywalker, you get the her passing hers to him and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of I don't know. That's what it made me think of. I guess also the music that plays when she's like kicking all kinds of ass is like the best music we've heard in the show. Like today, it was so good. Really, uh, 
great little it's very brief but like when she's fighting like the spider tank i i call it i don't know like that's so good the music really kicks in Bo rediscovered nurturing in this episode cared for others fed a loved one multiple loved ones of course she cares about grogu but who do you also feed you feed your husband right or you feed your spouse you feed your loved ones right she also grew to appreciate pieces of herself that she had probably not thought of for years the love of her father the rights and traditions that she had long forgotten i'm gonna use it what is this show Good job, John Favreau. <laughs> <laughs> I, fucking, I love this episode. It's so good. And uh, there's this thing that Favreau does, and we kind of poke fun at it and take it for granted. But I think here it really works, which is like he he always talks about like taking the underdog, like background characters that nobody cares about and like make them a big deal. The fact that R5-D4 is the droid here is is meaningful, I feel. And then because it was it was sort of like that refusal of the call moment in a new hope with that droid. And then, you know, you get, you get Mando taken off his weapons the way that Luke does in empire strikes back. And I don't know, there's, there's stuff happening that is not just coincidence. It's like very, uh, meaty little beats. And I, I love your, I love your Peli motto theory about how she's George Lucas, because in my notes, I have, you know, from Favreau's point of view, like she's kind of like his good luck charm, you know, yeah. maybe like, like he keeps bringing her back. And I, all I can think about is how she was James Conn's secretary in Elf and Elf is like, you know, his, his sort of mainstream breakout hit, you know, um, you know, George the Lucas reason that he's self insert. <laughs> yeah, homage. it's so good. Yeah. yeah. It's like where the alchemy happens, like the George Favreau alchemy, if that <laughs> if that's a thing. It's like is Amy Sedaris. And I don't know. I love it. And then Grogu, meaningfully, she thinks the Grogu's first word is Pelly. Uh, when he is Pelly in this episode. Yeah. We we don't quite know, but it does sound like it. Um I yeah, I couldn't tell. Um, but either way, it's yeah. like it just, it always, whenever Pelly holds Grogu, it always reminds me of that picture of George Lucas yes, holding yeah. the puppet. Yes. So when you said the Pelly is George thing earlier, I was like, she's right because of that picture. Yes. I've so said good. this for years. Yeah. Like well, since she was introduced in. Was she introduced in that episode that we, you thought was like George Ghost wrote it? Because yeah. <laughs> it was it was the Filoni episode. Yeah. Wow. The one where they race through the desert. Everybody has names. Uh, yeah. And there's like the super interesting like mythic talk from. Pelly. Yeah. And my, my theory was, oh, this is like Luke and Vader having a father relationship that they never had. And then you're like, you got it. You said like you thought the same thing. And um, yeah, she's George. You're right. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny how it's all clicking together in this episode. This episode really is like, oh, like Favreau is, is working on another level here. And he had like a top notch director. Yeah, I'm very, know. I'm the sort of rougher aspects of the writing I could easily ignore because the mythic symbolism was so good. Yeah. And uh, the rough edges were smoothed by the amazing director who gave the feeling camera even to a puppet and to a man wearing a mask. Really, really did. Yeah. We felt emotions. Great stuff. From these characters, which is key to excellent Star Wars. All it right. really was. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this amazing episode? I don't think so. I think I, you know, I touched on pretty much everything I wanted to say. I just, 
I love that that creature so much. It sort of goes back to George's rough drafts and, you know, um, yeah. I mean, the, the secret is... I, I love it. ...with Odysseus and Polyphemus is that it took brains, not brawn, to defeat Polyphemus, right? So he's tricked. But it doesn't mean that there isn't, like, a price to pay for that. Sure. Din needed Bo to rescue him from the situation because his spirituality alone couldn't save him. Yeah. It's like yeah, the way kind of the way you described it is like, you know, when she's got the sword and shield, it's like it means more than just she's like a badass with a sword. It's like she's more. Yeah, she's got all the all the balance, you know, Um, like Wonder Woman uh, doing all the trench warfare stuff. And then she sees the baby and she's like, oh, baby. Anyway, um, yeah, Yeah. you know, you can you can be both. Uh, It's nice. Yeah. And for all of the above. Hopefully you can have a love interest too. <laughs> it sure seems like it after this episode. You know, a lot of people picked up on that. I mean, um, it's it's mythically significant what happened. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see if they pick it up. We'll see what where they go with things. Um, it certainly feels like Bo-Katan is going to be a big character for this season, but I, I actually don't know where they're going to go next. I wasn't expecting them to go to the Mines of Mandalore until later on in the season after he went on a like a hunt chase for the IG unit. Like that's I was totally set up. <laughs> I actually yeah. thought that it was going to be like one of those like, and now we have the IG unit memory clip and we go back to the thing. And I thought that was going to be the season. Now I actually literally don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we've we've been perceived by the eye of the uh, the literal mythosaur down in the underworld. So I don't know how you top it, but uh you kind of have that Chekhov's gun now of the mythosaur is down there. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, there is magic in the living waters. And it's just, you the know, living waters the, were literally living. The symbol. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so great. I love it. It's great. All right. We will be back next week with another episode of Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim. Alex, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Uh, as long as Twitter remains, I'm at Alex J. Kane, K A N E. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is provided by Christy Carew for What the Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We would like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Melody, Night Huntress, In Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Christian Luca, Josh Johnson, Scott C., and Susan. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other pod apps. It helps people find the show. Check out our other channel on YouTube, What the Fiction. You can connect with us on Twitter at WT Force Show, What the Force Podcast on Facebook, and our website, whattheforce.ca. We also have a Discord. Links are in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers.